Welcome. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Welcome to the 43rd annual Oak Bible Reading Chapel service. We've gathered this evening to read and to hear the Word of God. Ancient words, ever true, the songwriter wrote, changing me and changing you. Words of life, words of hope, words of strength. As you can tell from the printed program that you received when you came in, this chapel service is a long-standing tradition at Nazarene Bible College. It has a rich history. Ask me sometime about that. The most important thing that can happen in this evening service is to have an encounter with the Word of God. Someone has said that a new impression of the Word is given by passing it through human lips which have been taught to voice it with the clearness, dignity, and beauty it deserves. And I believe that we will get a new impression of the Word tonight as we listen. So I challenge you to listen with your head with your mind and with your heart. As you listen to these readings in a few moments, you will notice distinctive differences in the passages of Scripture. There are various genres of literature, and each has its unique purpose. And so because the literature is different, the vocal demands on each reader are also different. You will listen to words of instruction, you will hear persuasive appeals through words of caution, admonition, and challenge. And you will join with the characters of Scripture in life-changing experiences. I encourage you to listen carefully as these students of oral interpretation read to you tonight. I have a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. First of all, it would not be, because of the nature of this uh, chapel service, it would not be appropriate for us to applaud between the readings. You'll get a chance to do that at the end, express your appreciation. So if you could hold off, that would be wonderful. And uh, I think we'll all get more out of the experience of the Word if we will just close our Bibles and listen. Why don't you stand with me now for a prayer and then remain standing as we sing a song before the readings begin. Lord, we hear your word with gladness. You have spoken and we rejoice. Words of love and life and freedom help us make their truth our choice. Now in holy celebration of your word, we worship you. May we hear with understanding and may our hearts accept with meekness all the grace your light makes known. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Before we were alive in Christ, sin was a powerful master. But now that we have newness of life, we serve the most powerful master. The Apostle Paul reminds us of who he ought to be as a child of the Most High. 
in case we have forgotten. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members <clears throat> for sin will no, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members of slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every day, 
we are faced with temptation. But we have relief from this. Jesus is our greatest example. Let's take a look at what the scriptures tell us that we can do. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. We have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during that time, and at the end he was very hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor and said to Jesus, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Lord shall lift a standard up against him. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. If God is for us, then who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face temptations of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little time, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The place, Bethany and Judea. The time, approximately one week before Passover. According to John, this is Jesus' last miracle before his crucifixion. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he had heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Yet when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought natural sleep. So then he told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Lord, she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that you will give, ask God to give whatever you will ask. But Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me will live even though he dies, but whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into this world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And when she reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come alongside her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. When the Jews saw this, they said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man get this man from dying? Once more, Jesus was deeply moved. He came to the tomb. Take away this stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, By this time there is a bad odor, for he had been there four days. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I asked, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wraps of strips of linen, and a cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off his grave clothes and let him go. It was crucifixion day. The very Son of God had suffered the cruelest form of death, death on a cross. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come from Jesus, the woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. They went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. The next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Very early in the morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb that they might anoint Jesus' body. On the way to the tomb, they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. 
In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Do not be afraid. You are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. While the women were on the way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole them away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story was widely circulated among the Jews. When they heard Jesus was alive, the disciples did not believe the women, because the words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she turned around, she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Do not hold on to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Afterward, Jesus showed himself to these men over a period of 40 days and gave many convincing proofs that he was, and indeed is, alive. His name is Bartimaeus. He is a blind beggar. His little space beside the road is home. 
Trodden dirt is his bed, a stone his pillow. He sits there day in and day out, a crumpled up man on the side of the road. Feeling around in the dark, Bartimaeus accosts a passerby with his searching hands. Alms, alms for the poor, pity on a blind man. And thus he gropes for his daily food. A mumbled blessing. A coin in a cup from a reluctant benefactor. A sharp point of theology thrust at him from one of the more religious. A brusque shove to the side of the road. This is what life is like for Bartimaeus. Living on the roadside, he takes what comes his way. A coin in a cup, a slap on the hand, a blessing, a curse. But this day, what comes his way is a babble of voices. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city of Jericho, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Jesus Nazareth, of is, Nazareth passing is passing by. Nazareth is passing by. He knows that name. He's heard of this man, Jesus. Many say that he is a future king and heir to David's throne. They say he's the servant Mas Isaiah prophesied about. A light to the gentles, to uh, Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, and release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Oh, the dungeon Bartimaeus has been in for so long, locked away and forgotten. Oh, the darkness, the loneliness, the rub of the shackles. There on the roadside he sits, solitary in his thoughts, like a rock around which the stream of people flows. I must find him, he thinks. I must talk to this Jesus. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd wraps a few brittle words against him to keep him in his place. But Bartimaeus only redoubles his efforts. The veins in his neck protrude as he shouts, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. Call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Condescending whispers hush as the blind man approaches. He stands now not only he stands now not only before the heir to David's throne, but to the throne of heaven. And for a moment in time, this blind beggar has the undivided attention of deity. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Can you believe your ears? Incredible. A blind man standing before the magistrate of heaven the one who gave light to the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the response is not one of an exalted king, but of a lowly servant. What do you want me to do for you? Without hesitation, Bartimaeus answers, Lord, I want to see. Out of the dungeon, out of the darkness, he wants out of the shackles of those blind eyes. He wants out of the prison, 
He wants to be free. I want to see. He wants to use his hands for more than just seeing his way around in the dark. He wants to make things. He wants to fix his own meals. He wants to read. I want to see. He wants to look into the eyes of a friend. He wants to wave at someone across the way. He wants to smile at children, pat their heads, and wish them well. He wants to love. He wants to laugh. He wants to live. I want to see. In an instant, Jesus knows everything those four short words mean to this man. The king shows him favor. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. In the twinkling of an eye, Bartimaeus passes out of the darkness and into the light. Sunshine floods his eyes. He sees the azure sky, the majesty of the clouds in full sail, a pair of turtle doves winging their ways just above the rooftops. He sees buildings. He sees the amazed faces at the crowds. And then he turns and sees Jesus. He sees his tenderness. He sees the love. He sees the eyes of a king. His faith has healed him. Faith enough to make a fool of himself by shouting and stopping the crowd. Faith enough to come to Jesus. Faith enough to ask what no one but God could grant. Quite a lot to see for a blind man. And without looking back, this new citizen of the kingdom joins that royal entourage down the Jericho Road to follow a king in whose eyes he has found favor and to leave forever behind his beggar's place along the roadside. Dear son of David, I pray you would give me a heart for those on the roadside, for those who, for whatever reason, are not in the mainstream of life, who lie crumpled and cast aside, for those who are forgotten and ignored, who are in some way blinded to the fullness of life. Help me not to turn a deaf ear when they call out. Help me to stop, regardless of what the crowd may say, to give them my undivided attention Help me to give myself to them as you did, to show mercy, to do what I can. And though I may not be able to loose them from their chains or free them from their separate prisons, help me to visit faithfully so they may know that someone cares. Help me to bring a meal so they may be nourished. To say a kind word so they may be encouraged. Help me to give a gentle touch so they may be comforted. Help me to provide a blanket so they may be made warm. To give a pillow so they may have a soft place to lay their heads. Help me to lend a listening ear so their stories may be heard. Help, Help me whenever, whenever wherever, wherever, and however I can to bring light to someone who sits in darkness. And though I may not be able to bring sight to their eyes, 
enable me to chase away a few shadows so their lives might be a little brighter. I'm going to ask them to join me here on the platform. It's my special privilege to give to each of them a certificate of recognition. I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful way to honor them for their diligence. And uh, the certificate reads, this certificate is awarded to, and their name is on there, in recognition of achievement in public reading of scripture and participation in the Oak Bible Reading Award program on the 25th day of January 2012 at Nazarene Bible College, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Each of them will receive this certificate. And then in the month of May at the awards chapel, the son and daughter of Dr. Oak have provided an endowment for this event through the years. And, uh, and it is their contributions that make it possible for them to receive a monetary award. So at that time, that will be given. But right now, the certificate. You may want to thank them again or show your appreciation as I hand these to them. Would you stand with me? And uh, I've asked uh, our president, Dr. Harold Graves, to come and uh, pronounce the uh, benediction. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have been reminded, fresh and anew tonight, of the power of your holy word. Words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with your heart. May these words, ancient words, impart to us tonight. May they be words of life and words of hope to give us strength and to help us cope. Ancient words, Father, ever true, changing me and changing you. Father, may that be so in all of our lives tonight. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.